Hello, listeners. We invite you to sharpen your swords and your minds and join hosts Sam and Clay each week as they delve into the historical context, leadership, and tactics surrounding significant battles and campaigns throughout time. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the Art of War. All right, welcome everybody to this week's installment of the Art of War podcast. I'm excited to talk about the Battle of Isis today with uh, Sam, the co-host. Hey. Yeah, he fortunately survived the ice apocalypse in Texas, so I'm glad that he has power now and that we can record. It was hard. I still have water, but it was we got the electricity now, so we're able to do this. So let's go. Yeah, electricity is the real necessity in life. True. True. I don't need water or food. I just need podcasts. All right, so let's go back. Let's let's go refresh what, what was happening in the last right, podcast. Right. Battle of Granicus. Yeah. So Granicus. So Alexander the Great. He's in Asia Minor. He fights a big cohort of Darius's generals. He destroys them. He now has the entirety, almost the entirety, of Asia Minor under his control. And he's trying to push east to actually enter Persia itself. Right, yeah. So after this Battle of Granicus, he pretty much has free reign to capture large parts of Asia Minor. And a lot of the towns and satraps actually just surrender to him after the Battle of Granicus because of the fame he's already earned himself. Yeah, and the and the fear of what's going to happen to him because they got this giant Macedonian force just sweeping through the east side of Asia Minor and taking all these cities and they they have no support from Persia anymore. They've Persia's completely gone. They're out they're at, back in Persia. He's right now he's in Caria, which is like the vast majority of Asia Minor. It's a a, a somewhat Greek, somewhat Persian, right in the central where you know, to the east of Turkey where uh He's taking all these cities, and he actually gets in with the queen of Caria. Her name's Ada. She's the wife of the deceased, her deceased brother, who was king of Caria a few years back. And they were very loyal to Persia, but she sees the opportunity. She thinks, okay, you know, fight against them, we might, you know, get some repercussions. But she chooses instead to, like you said, surrender the majority of the cities to him. And... In return, Alexander, when he takes a city, he just gives it right back to, to Ada, the Queen of Caria. And he's just like, okay, here, you, you, your, your city's back. But he takes, a, an interesting point too, is that he takes like a large amount of wealth, food, you know, rations for his troops so that he can continue his campaign. Oh, yeah. But he gets in and he's like, she actually ends up adopting him as, as her son, uh, I think a year or two after his campaign through Asia Minor. And they're like real close. They're like homies. Alexander's always a ladies' man. Yeah, and there's there's only one city that really held out in Caria, which was Halicarnassus. It held out for I think four to five months until eventually they just surrendered, and he didn't even do much to them. Like he didn't punish them or anything. He just gave it back to Ada right after immediately. Right, and that that was a very lengthy siege for Alexander as well. He lost a lot of troops, and you know my boy Mimnam of Rhodes was actually leading the. Persian forces there as well. So we see Mibnam again and the siege of Helicarnassus. Yeah, and and the funny thing is too is that his plan that he or Alexander's plan originally when he was pushing through Asia Minor was to take all the coastal cities first to make sure that he has complete defensive control of all of the major uh, inlets so that there couldn't be a, a landing behind them that could get outflanked because the Persian fleet is extremely powerful. It's probably one of the most uh, one of the strongest military powers that the the Persians had at their disposal. Yeah, 
Actually, I, w- I really want to go into this point because I think this is one of the major points that sets up this Battle of Issus. Alexander and Ma- the Macedonians, they did not have a very powerful navy. They didn't have a fleet that could go toe-to-toe with the Persians. And so Alexander's bold decision that he makes before really launching this um, abrasive land campaign is that he basically disbands the entire navy that Macedonia has, converts them all to ground troops, and his idea is just to push up the coast, take all the coastal cities so Persia doesn't can't use its naval fleet as much because the way that the Persian naval fleet was set up is it was kind of Persia captured all these kingdoms and they used all of their resources to build their fleet. So if they didn't have these coastal cities, they couldn't use the majority of their fleet. And sure. it was a very bold move by Alexander. No, it was. And then after he's taken all these these coastal cities, he's got complete control of Caria. So it's now it's now up to Darius. It's basically Darius is invading his own territory, right? Because before he might have been able to go to, you know, uh, Halicarnassus or, or some of these cities in Caria and... and get troops from there, get supplies, get resources to hold out like a, a field, a large army. But now he's got, he's got nothing, right? He had, it, Alexander's taking everything. Right. I want to touch on one thing that Darius does before then. It's kind of almost like a last ditch effort, but Memnon of Rhodes, who actually just reading about this, Memnon of Rhodes is probably my favorite character about this whole, just whole story of Alexander the Great. Memnon of Rhodes is just really, really cool. But he is actually given control of the remaining Persian fleet by Darius, and he's going to lead a campaign actually straight to Macedonia. They're not even going to try to fight Alexander's army. He's going to go capture the Aegean Islands and then capture Macedonia. And then Athens gets words of this. So if Macedonia basically falls to this naval campaign, Athens and Sparta are going to revolt and the Macedonian coalition is going to fall apart. So this was like a huge deal, and Alexander was greatly worried about this. But then <laughs> my boy Memnon actually got sick at one of the sieges of the Aegean Islands, and he dies from his illness, and then the naval campaign fails. So Alexander was pretty much, and Macedonia was saved by the illness that took Memnon of Rhodes. And it's almost weird, like their fates were almost entwined because right after Memnon died of an illness, Alexander also got very, very sick before Darius pushed in with his army and he almost died. And he had like this crackpot uh, physician come in and feed him this weird drug that saved his life, apparently, according to the the records. But (laughs) but, yeah, it's kind of crazy what would happen if Memnon was successful with his naval campaign. Yeah, that, that happens a lot throughout this campaign where there's just one small decision that could have just rewrote the entireties of the, the campaign. They could have lost in multiple instances. And that right there, they could have, right, that, that would have, they would have been floundering. They would have had nowhere to go. They would have been stuck in Caria. They couldn't have gone back, right? Yeah. So Darius loses his best general, Memnon, and then he has another Greek general that's advising him on what to do next and what happens. Always. So his name's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again to pronounce a hard name. Cheridamus? Cheridamus? He's he's pretty young. I, I believe there's not really accurate records on how old he was, but he was probably in his 20s. He's a Greek general also, just like Memnon. He's up and coming, very talented. He's been very successful in other Persian campaigns. And he, he once again makes the mistake, like Memnon, of... Uh, trying to advise Darius on, on something. And, and of course, for some reason, there, there always seems to be a Persian distaste for Greek advice because 
prior to the battle uh, of Isis, Cheridamus, Cheridamus, he advises Darius to let him lead half of the army against Alexander so that they could spread out their forces and not have one giant mass that could be easily routed. They could make different plays, right? So when he says that, Darius immediately writes it off and says, no, we're not doing that. It's my army. You're not going to take control of my army. And Cheridamus makes the mistake of talking under his breath, he says in Greek, uh, something along the lines of these Persians, they're so stubborn, or these Persians, they're so blockheaded. And Darius spoke Greek. So Darius immediately uh, picks up on what he said, and he's extremely offended. And, and, and within a few minutes, he orders Cheridamus to be executed, and they kill him right then and there. Just boom. Yeah. And uh, that was that was a huge mistake for Darius, because he was one of the most, other than Memnon, was one of the most... Uh, uh, effective generals that Darius had, and now he's gotten rid of another one of them and had completely ignored the advice. And then he just goes straight into the battle, deciding that you know that this doesn't matter. Right. And I think I think that account is from Plutarch. I know there's another account where it would they were still in Persia, and um, Darius had called a council of his closest allies to talk about what to do next, and. Yeah, Cherodamus was there, and the way he was presenting his argument was to put him in charge of the army because he didn't want Darius to put himself at unnecessary risk because Darius was the king. Oh yeah, that's I think that's Arion's or Arion's his uh yeah it was his account Arion's yeah which I think makes more sense um, because I think Darius definitely would have liked that line of thought, but he kind of had to save face and the other advisors there were not on that plan yeah but yeah he was he was executed and darius that was like the last great general that he had so he didn't really have any other generals to lead the army so it was pretty much it ended up having to be him yeah after that that instance happens he keeps going on a little blood-fueled vengeance trip he when he actually pushes into Caria, he goes to the actual city of isis which is a port city that alexander was planning on one of the last places he was going to take and when Darius got there, which I guess we should we should include some more information because it kind of doesn't make sense with the context. Uh, Alexander had actually been there, and they had they had not formally taken control of it, but they were split, and they had troops sitting in Issus. Yeah, apparently Alexander they left their injured troops and troops that needed to recover there uh, because they had gotten intel that the Persian army was pushing from a different direction. So they were, then they, they went to a different direction to try to meet them, but there was miscommunication. Yeah. So I, Alexander and Parmenian were informed that they were going to be going through this, uh, this pass called Jordan's Jordan's pass, I believe, which if Darius's army had gone through that, it would have been a complete bloodbath because Alexander and Parmenian were planning a, a surprise attack on that, that choke where they would have just been completely destroyed. But it turns out that Darius decides knowing that they would probably be awaiting them at the the uh, exit of the pass to go around and he ends up in Isis or Isis and he decides he decides to do what to the to the soldiers and wounded of Alexander's army in Isis yeah so he tortures most of them and takes the right hand of them all he cuts off all of their right hands yeah, there's there's mixed reports. Some say that both of their hands are chopped off. Some say that it was just his right, their right hand. Right, and it could just be playing into the demonification of the Persian forces. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you know a little bit leniency on the Persian forces. You would kind of expect them to just kill them all. 
Well, the funny thing is, is if, if it was just the right hand, then it's leniency. But if it's both hands, that's a death sentence, right? You're not going to get anybody to take care of you if true. you don't have hands. Like, you're not going to be able to do anything. But, yeah, so that's that's one of those, like you said, probably another account that might have been used as, as making the Persians look bad. But he did uh, torture and, and, you know, because in most cases, uh, the, if you were to take a city where there's wounded and injured troops, you would just kill them all. There wouldn't be... <laughs> any leniency at all, which is, it's kind of interesting that he did, in fact, choose not to kill them. But yeah, that's what he does, and uh, he's he's now planning to meet Alexander in the field. Right, yeah, so this battle is not actually at Issus, it's on these plains that are a bit south next to the river Panaris? Panaris? Panaris, Panaris, yeah. Yeah, right by the Gulf of Issus. So it's this kind of tiny little stream that's leading out into this gulf body of water, and so you have the Gulf body of water on one side, and then the ma- these mountains on the other side, and then they meet on the plain in between them. Yeah, and it's it's like a very open area, very large open area. But the thing that Darius did incorrectly is is when he was planning a place to encamp for the coming battle, he gave the Macedonians the opportunity to spread their lines to to be able to meet each unit, each uh, Persian unit. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to hold each one, and then they would have just been able to wrap and flank them, and then it would just, they would have lost the battle. Right, yeah. Because you have to say, Darius's main advantage here is numbers. He has far more troops than the Macedonian has, but the Persian troops aren't as well trained as the Macedonians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he, it, the, another interesting thing about this battle is that there's so many different reports on the actual numbers in the battle. Like in the previous Granicus, the, the numbers aren't 100% solid because each one of the historians like Arian, Plutarch, and Curtius, and uh, Quintus, and Junianus, they all claim that the numbers were on the Persian side were 500,000, 600,000, 250,000, 300,000 because you know, there's no way they could accurately count. It was a very quick thing. So that in itself is is a little bit interesting but also the uh, modern historians of today claim that there's no possible way that the persian army could have fielded 100 120 130 140,000 the maximum number that they claim could be filled is 105,000 because at that time there was no way for them to get resources to their army there there was no way to create um, you know uh, sustainable environments for their army at all right and so that there's no way they could have done it but they all claim that the, the numbers are you know six hundred thousand, five hundred thousand. I, I guess it could be a scenario where it, this wasn't a permanent army this is more of darius just going on his way down to asia minor just collects as many citizens as he can from different satraps on the way and just kind of arms them with very minimal stuff yeah be- because we learned in the battle you know how quickly they are to just route completely. Well, that was a, that's a very common thing about the Persian army because a large portion of them were slaves and, and peasants that had no formal training at all that were just, like you said, rallied up by, by uh, the moving Persian forces. And then they just, the instance they see anything scary or anything that looks like they're going to die, they, they route. Yeah. But regardless, the main point is that Darius definitely had a huge number advantage. Yeah. So Alexander had something around 35 to 40,000. Once again, those numbers are they differ but they were extremely outnumbered and the mistake like the mistake Darius made was that he should have not allowed them to stretch their lines right yeah because as they stretch their lines right so they have 
basically the gulf on one side and the mountain on one side, and they stretch all the way in between, so there's no way that the Persian yeah. forces can get around to flank, which is actually a very smart move. Yeah, so it, it, at first it looks like Darius is in a pretty good spot because the Macedonians have to meet him in battle, and they're expecting them to cross to to hit them, which is just like Granicus, it's a huge disadvantage mm-hmm. to cross the river first, especially with the Persians. The Persians had... They had a, a large amount of archers and distance. Right, yeah. So it's not like the Macedonian forces could sit back because there were just rains of arrows coming down. Yeah. So it looks at first like Darius is super favored, that he has an advantageous position. But then, like Clay said, there's the fact that they couldn't flank or get around was extremely problematic for an army that was 100 to like 200,000. You have a bunch of troops that aren't capable of doing anything, right? You've got mounds of units on top of each other where if you stretch them out they could they could wrap around and be effective right so yeah once again the majority of the fighting force of the persians are untrained light infantry that are armed with spears and swords and the macedonians main army is the phalanx infantry which is a mixture of light and medium uh, infantry and that that's their center and they have a big contingent of cavalry with alexander and parmenian which hold up the left and right flank and the Persians also have cavalry units, but they're only on their right flank. They don't have any on their left flank. And this is actually the first battle of the Persian campaign that Darius brings out the immortals, the Persian immortals, which were mm-hmm. the most or claimed to be the most well-trained, most effective fighting force in the world at the time. Yeah, the the elite fighters, and they're you know they're called the immortals because even if one died, they were replaced so fast, and they yeah. were given the appearance of being immortal because they do wear the mask too, so you, you don't ever know if they change. Just their number is supposed to always stay the same. And those those guys compromise the the center of the Persian forces along with a bunch of Greek mercenaries, like in the Battle of Granicus. So the center is the majority of Persia's fighting force. The the two flanks, the left and right flank, the right flank is, for the Persians, is where the cavalry is, and that's where they're going to be planning to to make their move. And the left flank is is very, very weak. There's not much on the left flank. It's just a bunch bunch of light infantry. Right, so the Persian cavalry is pushing on the Macedonian's left flank, which is led by Parmenian at this time. And they're actually gaining a lot of ground and success on pushing the forces back that Parmenian are, is commanding. And he's a, almost about to break at one point. Yeah, and, and so then Alexander, he's on the right flank. So the same thing happens on, on both sides' uh, left flank. They have a huge cavalry force that's forcing the left flank to push back. So Alexander's is shoving into this light infantry trying to make... Uh, a gap so that he can get behind, just like in Granicus, he's trying to outflank them. And Parmenian is getting destroyed because he's got three units of cavalry against his one, and he's going further and further back. And if Parmenian gives, like if he were to rout, then this gives a three, with like ten, almost 10,000 cavalry units, free reign of, of the flank of the uh, Macedonians, which is just... Right, they can flank the Macedonian phalanx and basically pretty much won the battle at that point. Yeah, it's that's just it's terrible. So then Alexander luckily he breaks through the left mm-hmm. flank of the Persians and his decision 
instead of like Granicus hitting the backside of it and making the, the troops route, except for the mercenaries, he sees Darius. He, he catches a glimpse of Darius and his little retinue of bar- bodyguards, and he decides to just bomb rush uh, Darius. Yeah, he bum rushes Darius, and Alexander, his cavalry at this point, they're some of the best trained Macedonian fighters, and so he rushes into Darius. Yeah, and, and his actually Darius's brother, Zaxthrys, Zax, Zax, once again a hard name, Zaxthrys, uh, he tries stopping Alexander, but it gets completely ignored. He, he's got a little contingent of, of cavalry, and he just, they just ignore him and straight run at, at Darius. And mm-hmm. Darius, is, his bodyguards are supposed to be extremely, you know, well-trained cavalry, but Darius instead chooses to run instead of fight Alexander in battle and, and, and like, secure the flank. So he just, he, he dips out of there. And, uh, yeah, that was that was a mistake. That was a huge mistake. Right. So as, yeah, as Darius flees, his entire troops lose morale and the mass majority of the Persian forces, besides the Greek mercenaries, start running for the hills pretty much. And so many of them die from the resulting stampede. And some of the accounts, it says that the entire hills were co- covered in bodies, which is kind of wild yeah and, and even more interesting is that the uh the left flank where parminian is fighting they're they're like near lost they're near routing and he they, they actually the cavalry units the generals see that darius has left the field and the troops are routing and instead of trying to you know make a counter flank and and save the battle they too leave they they dip out of there and uh, Parmenian survives the day based on based on that decision, and which it's crazy because if they had just held out a little bit longer and, and made Parmenian route, they could have possibly brought the battle back in their favor. But this the, the the thing that you know most people wouldn't talk about is that sure Darius like or sure those troops like they they route so quickly and they're they're so scared and terrified, but they see Darius as literally a god king. He he's been deified. Right. He he is god. So if yeah, if, if your god that that you have all faith in leaves the battlefield, there's not much left for you. You just you're gonna go right. You're gonna follow him. Yeah, and it is worth saying too that that was you know very against ancient Persian tradition. The uh, the king was not ever supposed to flee from a battle. Yeah, and this was also the first uh, time in two hundred years that a Persian king had lost a battle. Two hundred years pretty wild yeah it's crazy i mean it, the what when ensues in the aftermath is just as wild too yeah i mean alexander pursued uh darius for hours and hours and hours right like into the night and his troops are already in camp when he gets back and he's been chasing him for i think they claim eight to ten hours just non-stop trying to catch darius but he, he doesn't right yeah so to the victors go the spoils here there is so many Persian forces in such a big encampment that the Macedonians, when they looted it, they found so much gold because it was the king that had come down. Yeah. And it, it, interestingly enough, it was also an ancient Persian tradition to bring your family to battle. So not only did they get all of these riches, but they also got Darius's wife and children and mother as captives. And so this looks, this looks, can you imagine how poorly it looks for Persia, for Darius himself, when he loses a battle for the first time in 200 years, like no other Persian king has lost a battle in 200 years, he loses the battle with way larger numbers. He also routes when the first sign of conflict of his own personal safety, and he leaves behind his family, his his wife and his 
his children, right? right? And it just it overall looks extremely bad, and and that that contributes later on to his his difficulty. He was extremely successful. He's very well known for being able to rally armies. He was really effective at getting support mm-hmm. for military campaigns, but he even struggles in these these you know future battles to to generate the forces because that is just so detrimental yeah, to your reputation loss. and. So, this is the first time he came out to fight the Macedonians and he gets just destroyed and it's just, it's pretty bad look. Yeah, and then some of the accounts, some of them do say that Darius did not mean to flee but was trying to fight but his horses of his chariot fleed instead. You know, take that as what you will, but yeah. Maybe it is hard to believe that he would just leave his entire army and family behind. Yeah, no, that, see, that, that might give credit to that account too because... That's pretty wild to just immediately dip out of there, you know, but, but it does, it does destroy his reputation. Right. Especially because in the aftermath, he actually writes to Alexander to try to negotiate Mm -hmm. the return of his family. And this is why this battle is so important because this is really when Alexander becomes referred to as a king, both by himself and Darius actually refers to Alexander as a king in this letter. And this is also as it it destroys uh, Darius' reputation but it actually just elevates Alexander to a level that, you know, because prior Macedonia was, you know, it was talked about, but it wasn't that big. But now Macedonia is this extremely powerful country now. They own Asia Minor. They just defeated the largest fighting force in the world in battle with overwhelming odds. You know, it's hugely important. Right. This is a huge victory for Alexander, not just in the menseness of it, but also that this is pretty much a victory only because of his decision making. You know, in the Battle of Granicus, the first major battle against the Persians, he performed well, but it wasn't, you know, solely his leadership that won that. In this battle, his sole leadership is what won them the battle. Yeah. And his which decisions. is pretty important for his growth as a as a young king. Yeah, and, and it, you know, makes his troops inspired to continue the campaign and, and they really see it as a possibility that they could, you know, invade Persia. And they can actually yeah. take control of this massive empire that stood for so long. And in the accounts, too, he starts to display this very king-like nature when he's addressing Darius's mother and his wife and saying that no harm will come oh, yeah. to them and that they're under his protection, which is, you know, a very chivalrous thing for him to do at this time. Yeah, and he, uh, he actually later marries Darius's wife, Stat- yeah. Stat- Stateria, Stateria, which is a major just punch in the in the stomach to Darius that he marries his actual wife. But yeah, while he's, you know, doing all these things that are probably making Darius pretty upset, he is, you know, treating them with respect and making sure that they're all still elevated to the level that they were prior where they're aristocrats, you know, the royalty. And he's pretty much decided now that he's going to take over Persia. This battle's, so, you know, solidified that yeah it really helps build up the legend of alexander the great and it's interesting too because before this battle um maybe a little bit of four parmenian had actually captured gordium which was the capital of another empire in asia minor but um in the capital of gordium alexander went there and that's where the gordian knot was and the legend was that whoever would untie the gordian knot would become the ruler of all of asia and alexander according to the accounts took out a sword and sliced the knot in half yeah, and so this this resulting battle and his victory over Darius really helps to solidify this legend. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of military strategy, but there's also a lot of uh, oral strategy that they employ. Where you know these things might have been true to some instance, but the the way they they 
spread the the tale and make it sound grandeur and you know deify Alexander himself. Uh, it really, you know, gets all Macedonia in support of him and the majority of Asian Meyer in support of him. You know, they're t- talking about how these odds were so, you know, overwhelming. Maybe, in fact, they weren't that overwhelming, but it was more effective to tell after the battle all of Macedonia that, you know, little, little Alexander's army of 35,000 defeated the 600,000 massive army of Darius the the third, the God King, right? The God King, yeah. So basically, Alexander defeated a god. It's it's very well done on in, in all strategic elements. These these first two battles were pretty important. Yeah, this one definitely the circumstances that led up to it are so interesting. Yeah, there's just so many decisions that were made. You know, we could have gone more into detail about the whole uh, Alexander trying to spring a trap on on Darius and how Darius, you know, decided with intel to to not go that route and. Like, uh, you know, Memnon going and trying to take over Mastodon. There's so many things that prior to the battle could have completely changed the outcome of the actual campaign. Right. And, and yeah, Alexander's illness actually prevented him from pushing, pushing further into Persia. So he was pretty much stationary, which led to the meeting here. The lack of another general for the Persian forces, you know, if they didn't have Darius on the battlefield, maybe they wouldn't have been so quick to just lose so much morale when they see their leader run away because their leader isn't their yeah. king if it's just a regular general. That's true. Well, and also, we have to include that the, uh, once again, the Greek mercenaries, they were one of the last to route and they were summarily all, you know, executed, just like in Granicus. <laughs> yeah. They, they got the, the old Macedonian treatment where they just kill all of them. No mercy. But yeah, the, the numbers that were reported of the actual death toll of both sides was, once again, the Macedonian army only lost, according to uh, Quintus, about 500 to 1,000 troops. Right, very, very low numbers. With a decent amount injured. And then the Persians, uh, the accounts state that the Persians lost hundred to 200,000 troops, which, take that with a grain of salt again. I mean, definitely they lost a lot. And yeah. especially from the stampede of everyone trying to run away. It'd be better if we had a percentage, not, not just a number. If we had a percentage of the troops that were lost, that'd be more effective. Because, yeah, they the, the majority of the light infantry on the left flank just got run down and brutally murdered after the main center routed and Darius left. So yeah, that, that was it was really bad, once again, for the Persians, just like in Granicus. They, they lost a huge amount of their troops, and now Darius is curtailing it back to Persia, and he's going to spend several months now trying to rally another army, just like he did after Granicus. Right, yeah, and Alexander is showing no signs of slowing down. No, no, and you got you got to understand how fast he's doing this, right? Granicus happened seven months prior to this. Yeah, so this is what, this is 333 BCE? Yeah, it was like, I think it was six or seven months after Granicus, so he's he's pushed almost through the entirety of Asia Minor. This is like full Turkey and some to the east. He's gone straight through and been able to take all these cities in the process and just straight into battle. There's no waiting. The only thing that kept him at bay, he probably would have, probably been like two or three months after Granicus when he would have met Darius, but the siege of Halicarnassus kept him there for three to four months. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. just he's going as fast as he can. He called like a blitzkrieg in essence. You know, he's trying to get into Persia as quickly as possible. Because also prior to this this success, he was losing you know some support because you've got a fighting force of not that many troops that were trying to take on the greatest empire in the world. And they're all, they're still, you know, they won a battle, but they haven't, fit, you know, faced Darius in combat and they, they still are low on resources. They've taken a few cities, but 
the Persians took the majority of the resources out and dipped out whenever they were coming through. And so he had a he had a necessity to go quick because if he lost support of his troops, which ends up happening at the very end of this campaign, then he would be you know forced to go back because if he doesn't have an army, he can't do anything. Any- right. So he, he had to go quick. Yeah, his victory is definitely a big validation, a big boom for yeah. him. Oh, also, and Alexander got wounded in the thigh pretty badly. He took a, it was either a spear or an arrow to his thigh while he was rushing after Darius. Some say that, I don't believe this as much, but Darius might have stabbed him with a dagger. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's true. Yeah, you know, if they were close enough to get into one-on-one combat, there probably wasn't a chance Darius would have escaped. And the majority of his bodyguard, yeah, Brett knew, escaped too. So, yeah, who knows? That might have been just another oral strategy to make DFI Alexander. Okay, yeah, so let us know what you guys think about this battle. Yeah, we're going to be coming up next week with some more of Alexander's campaign. And yeah, hopefully you tune in. Yeah. Oh, actually, one thing I do want to add at the end here is that I was always, I'm kind of interested in what's happening elsewhere in the world at this same time period. And there's an interesting parallel in China. This is during, this is taking place during the same time that the Warring States period is, when the Zhao Dynasty is basically being overthrown and all of the different um, empires in China are vying for power and to unify the, the different regions, which is pretty cool that there's like a unification campaign in China at the same time that Alexander the Great is doing unification here. It's kind of interesting. We could uh, we could go on for hours and hours and hours and hours talking about the dynasty shifts in China throughout history, all the wars that went down to to either overthrow or hold on to a dynasty. That's that's yeah. That might be a good follow up after we're done with Alexander. Hi, listeners. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, make sure to follow us on all of our social medias. You can find our social medias in the description on our Spotify page. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to check out our sister podcast, Gray Skies. Each week, the host Eliza talks about a different national disaster that happened in recent history. And hopefully we're going to be able to collaborate with her. Yeah, so look forward to that.